Section 28, Chapter 16, Part 2 of The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section 28, Chapter 16, Part 2. The mountain on which the Apaches were concealed, as described in this adventure with them, is devoid of trees, and hence is what in Western language is known as a bald mountain. Its summit contained a dry basin, which, besides the open lookout that the eminence commanded, formed another inducement to these Indians in selecting it for a hiding place. The route from New Mexico to the United States, which we have before spoken of as the Bent's Fort Road, runs through, or rather close to, the Raton Mountains. On account of its being well timbered, and offering somewhat of a protection, this route is often chosen late in the autumn and early in the spring as the safest for caravans to travel. As a hunting district, it cannot be surpassed, especially in the seasons of the year above mentioned, as the game collects there for shelter from cold and storms. At night, a squad of men under command of Lieutenant R. Johnston, of the 1st Regiment of the United States Dragoons, secreted themselves in the camp lately occupied by the Indians, in the expectancy that some of them would return to reconnoitre and see what had been done there. Along with this detachment, there was a man belonging to the spy company who could counterfeit the call used by these Indians when they wished to find each other and collect their forces. At about midnight, when all was still, this peculiar toned whistle was sounded, when lo and behold, two warriors and two squaws came forth and commenced groping about in the darkness. They were fired upon, but as no accurate aim could be taken, only one of the men was mortally wounded. There is no reason to doubt that there were more of these Indians concealed in the neighborhood, but the report of the rifles and the yells of their exposed brothers caused them to cling to their hiding places and as the shades of night advanced, they thought it was best to be on the move to distant parts. Hence they escaped. The Apaches in this affray parted with forty head of horses and also their scanty allowance of camp equipage, for, by prosecuting the war, they were fast becoming poverty-stricken. But to do them as much harm as possible, all the articles that could be of any service to them were collected and destroyed. A spectator, not used to seeing Indians in all phases, on beholding these Apaches in their most nourishing condition, would at once decide they had but little else to lose than their bodies, for they usually have but a small quantity of clothing on them. But this is but an instance where human eyes can be easily diluted. As long as he has his rifle with plenty of ammunition, or even when he is reduced to his bow and arrows, the Apache still considers that he is amply provided to carry on war. Least of all the Indians in the far west does this race prepare for the future. When deprived of his horse, which he is ready at a moment's warning to convert into food by killing, his spirits are as buoyant as if he was mounted on the fleetest charger. He is equally careless about partaking of his last morsel of nourishment, although his rashness may drive him, as it often does, to the alternative of subsisting on roots and bark, or such other articles as may fall in his way. On the morning of the day that the Apache village was discovered and captured, Kit Carson rode up to his superior officer and said, Major, if no accident shall happen to prevent us, we are certain to overtake the Indians by two o'clock this afternoon. 
the signs are becoming so fresh that i feel confident that i will not be mistaken carlton replied that if his words came true he would present him with the finest hat that could be purchased in the united states strange as it may appear the indians were found at the hour which the guide had predicted some time afterward as it required quite a length of time to write and have the commission executed kit carson was presented with a superb hat in which there was a very appropriate inscription viz at two o'clock kit carson from major carleton this prophecy was not guesswork on the contrary it was a matter of calculation made on the same principle which any experienced workman would adopt in reference to some undertaking that was within the range of his calling a few years later an officer who had been an eyewitness of this incident had the opportunity of trying kit carson a second time on the same business but kit was not mistaken the indians were overtaken within five minutes from the time he had foretold they would be major carlton having performed all that lay in his power commenced his homeward bound march while en route he travelled by the headwaters of the canadian river and its tributaries and passed over bold and lofty mountains and through a picturesque country finally he reached taos his command was in very good condition considering the hardships to which it had been exposed although we say in common parlance that this command returned in good condition yet it must not be presumed by this assertion that they came back making a fine appearance like that presented by soldiers on a parade when out on these campaigns the comfort of the men is considered to be of more importance than either pomp or show hence those military trappings which are not particularly essential are left behind while there is just enough uniformity of dress remaining to make them recognizable as soldiers but little luggage can be transported on these trips hence the soldiers are obliged to limit their wants to actual necessity which seldom amounts to more than the clothes they had on when about starting out the soldiers bear the appearance of being ready for hard work which after finishing they are glad to return even if they present themselves at their quarters in rags it is wonderful what a change in personal appearance a few weeks can make by travelling in the mountains the person thus exposed particularly conforms to the habits of the wild indians both in appearance and mode of life such toilet articles as mirrors and razors with their paraphernalia are dispensed with personal beauty being the thing the most to be despised in lieu thereof robust health shows itself in the cheek the eye and the whole economy of the man the blood courses through his veins as pure as the water in the mountain streams about him by this training the mind becomes clear and well balanced the whole system reaches a condition which far surpasses the finest constructed machinery this happy state of the body does not however communicate itself to the fantastical appearance of the soldiers as they come marching along were they to enter a town belonging to a civilized community when arrayed in this mountain costume they would at once be judged as a band of desperadoes on arriving at his home kit carson resumed the duties of his office as indian agent which occupied his time during the remainder of the year soon after another expedition was organized and sent out against the apaches but it returned unsuccessful we have used this word organizing when speaking of the fitting out of various expeditions against the indians and it seems proper that here we should give the reader an idea of what kind of preparation is necessary to put one of these commands in proper trim 
the company or companies of soldiers will be first detailed for the arduous duties of the field to castigate the indians this matter is easy to accomplish but the next thing to be thought of is to take care of these troops which is not quite so puerile a task the quartermaster estimates from the number of the soldiers how many mules will be required to transport their luggage equipments and provisions this having been determined upon he collects the animals and has them provided with pack saddles the task of shoeing the horses and mules is also no easy matter for they cannot go until after they have been properly shod a certain weight of freight is assigned to each pack mule and a suitable number of men are employed to take care of load and unload these animals when in camp when on the march these men perform duty as drivers and otherwise look after their charge notwithstanding their proverbial obstinacy these pack mules quickly learn the labor which they have to perform after finishing their usual day's work they often exhibit impatience to be relieved of their burdens in the morning they are correspondingly reluctant about being loaded and by their hostile demonstrations they plainly show their unwillingness to engage in further labor especially this is true when by careless management their backs have become injured or when from the steadiness of pressure from the dead weight of their cargoes the same result has been brought about the mexicans understand the art of packing animals to perfection hence they are preferred among other men to serve in this capacity it is often a laughable scene to witness a mule who is used to the business having his load strapped on and otherwise arranged in proper place the packer with the lashing rope in hand and with his foot braced against the side of the animal by the assistance of a kind of pulley arrangement in the saddle gearing uses his utmost endeavors to make things as firm as possible every effort which he thus put forth is strenuously and obstinately resisted by a trick which we will call the straining process that is resorted to by the mule the animal seems to know when his pack is securely and properly adjusted for if it is not he is ready to dump it on the first opportunity occurring when the mules are loaded they start out in a drove and are allowed to select their own path provided they follow on after the command it generally happens that one of them is more ambitious than his companions this one taking the lead the others resign to him their right to the place and are content to keep his company at a respectful distance in the rear one of the duties of the commissary department in fitting out such expeditions is to provide a sufficient quantity of rations for the men such as beef bacon beans sugar and coffee these form the reliable subsistence of the soldiers while absent from their posts or the settlements the estimate is judged by the number of days which the expedition will require to be absent in order to perform a certain amount of work from this result is calculated the weight and number of rations required always when practicable allowing a small surplus in this respect old and experienced soldiers are far superior to volunteers the former will allow no waste they are accustomed to being methodic in their modes of life while the volunteer is usually ignorant of such teaching hence he is wanting in making little things go a great way while out on one of these campaigns it is often practicable to a certain extent provided the undertaking is not a hotly contested chase to drive along beef cattle which can be killed and used at discretion bacon however is the soldier's sheet anchor 
and the variety of forms in which he can cook and prepare for eating this article while in the field would astonish even a french chef de cuisine it very frequently happens however that in an indian country he is not allowed to exercise his talent for making large fires may have the effect of apprising the enemy of the near approach of danger in such a case he is obliged to make his coffee in a tin cup over a very small fire the fuel of which consists of a handful of dry twigs which are carefully and cautiously replenished as the first supply is consumed this coffee together with the remains of his last frugal meal serves to stay his appetite for the time being nolens volens the organization is said to be complete and fit for service when the soldiers are judiciously provided with arms ammunition and riding horses when the party consists of mounted men they are also provided with other articles as deemed necessary which are included usually under the heading of an outfit for the especial business in which the soldier is to engage in the latter part of the summer kit carson departed from the agency on a visit to the band of utahs one of the tribes who were placed under his special care although usually he went to their country several times a year yet more frequently these indians came to him in order they might enjoy the hospitality of his house and receive from him presents of tobacco and other little commodities which he was always sure to give them articles which he generally had to pay for himself in visiting them at their home on this particular occasion kit carson had the double object in view of notifying them of the moon when they must meet the superintendent of indian affairs of the territory at abiquiu a town adjacent to their hunting grounds and one which they often frequented and also to inform himself of the schemes which they had on foot and their actual wants so he could report to the proper authorities the necessary articles of which they stood most in need to define the actual wants and requirements of indians is a subject which has puzzled many a person who has endeavored to thoroughly investigate their character and who has understood their mode of life if the question was left to themselves it would be readily settled for they desire to possess everything which in the least pleases their active fancy and so extensive are their demands in this respect that they know no limit provided their own inclinations are consulted by some it is supposed that the presence of blankets and trinkets which they annually receive from the government are more than sufficient rewards for depriving them of parts of their country others there are who charitably add to these things presence of weapons and ammunition arguing that thus they can kill game and gain their own subsistence without resorting to plunder but alas this latter argument is not found in the majority of instances to be the peaceful manner in which they employ these gifts very often the weapons which they have but recently received are turned upon their donors with a view of destroying them the reasoning of the indian in regard to these presents is perhaps right and just yet it is by no means pleasing to the exposed frontiersman the indian argues that these gifts are but rights which he is forced to receive in lieu of his hunting grounds with which he is very loath to part no matter what be the terms or consideration offered the inference which he draws is that he can use these presents as he pleases money in the hands of wild indians is almost worthless to them and paying it for their lands by way of annuity is extreme folly some of them in time as they have become half civilized begin to appreciate the value of money such only should be allowed to receive or accept it they sometimes desire it by way of ornament 
then by the usual means of exchanging property they know how easily to obtain it every tribe has its own peculiarities in respect to its wants the best judge of these is the agent who should be first chosen for his honor integrity and skill and then allowed a large discretion in his decisions the distance to be traveled over while on this duty was in the vicinity of two hundred and fifty miles and was performed like all of kit's previous journeys on horseback indeed there are but few men living or dead who have ridden in the saddle over as much territory as the man we write of on his way to the utah village kit accidentally fell in with the apaches but as he was constantly on the lookout and therefore first in making the discovery he lost no time in effecting his escape from them by changing his course he was thus able to pass around them in perfect safety kit carson met with no difficulty in finding the utahs among whom he spent two days investigating their affairs just before parting with them he left directions for them to be at the council at the time appointed which was in the new moon of october notwithstanding his path was beset with the same perils that existed on his outward journey yet by careful travelling he surmounted them all and arrived at his home safe and sound little or nothing worth noting transpired until the time arrived for him to set out for abiquiu where all the parties soon assembled in grand council and proceeded to business speeches were made by the superintendent by kit carson and by the head chiefs after these interesting proceedings were gone through with the annuities to which the band were entitled according to their treaty were presented to them which they received with outward signs of friendship though the knowing ones who were on the ground could see lurking beneath the stoic appearance which a savage usually assumes when facing his white brother that the red men were not entirely satisfied with past events however every means had been employed to pacify the band who on first coming into the council had succeeded in showing that they had been greatly outraged and injured and that they had sufficient cause for resentment the following circumstances will show the truth of this just previous to the holding of the council one of the warriors who was much esteemed by his tribe had been waylaid and murdered by a small party of mexicans the only excuse offered by the latter for committing this bloody deed was that they wished to deprive the warrior of an old coat which by some means had come into his possession the killing of a human being to deprive him of a garment which was almost worthless is perfectly characteristic of the depravity exhibited by the lower classes of mexicans it is a singular fact that these people love to steal trifling articles or sums of money we remember two instances where this trait is singularly illustrated an american on one occasion left on a table in his log house a large sum of money in gold he sent a mexican into the room to bring him something which he wanted but the man returned saying he could not find it the american now went himself to look for the article and while in the house recounted his money and found that one of the smallest coins was missing he at once called the thief and charged him with the crime the mexican knew this american to be very resolute when therefore he heard him threaten him with severe and summary punishment if he did not at once produce the money he knew there was no escape and accordingly drew from its hiding place on his very person the missing coin and restored it to its owner the american being used to such everyday occurrences passed by the affair without further notice in the other instance an american was traveling and occasioned to stop at a mexican's house during the night 
on going to pay his bill for his lodging in the morning he noticed that two pieces of his money had been abstracted while he was sleeping these coins had been taken one from either end of his purse this was what drew his attention to the fact of his having been robbed the host was informed of what had happened and at once proceeded to restore the missing money he called his son to him a boy twenty years of age and after threatening a good deal he made the lad take his choice between owning the theft or submitting to the risk of being discovered by the search of his person for the missing coins this had the desired effect and at once the stolen property was returned to its rightful owner both of these facts are simple and perhaps uninteresting but they serve to exhibit a characteristic of the lower classes of mexicans doubtless such paltry thieving is the result of a want of animal courage easily discernible by the close observer of the mexican race of course there are many exceptions to this statement the white men interested in the council had their hands full in their endeavors to smooth over this affair for the indians were much dissatisfied with such treatment at first they demanded that reparation should be made them by their agents giving them a certain number of horses the superintendent explained to them that he had not the power to do this but he assured them that the murderers should be arrested and dealt with according to law the indians willingly received this promise but seemed to feel as finally was the fact that they were doomed to be disappointed as far as the punishment was concerned it afterwards happened that only one of the murderers was apprehended and in a very short time after he was locked up as a prisoner he succeeded in making his escape and was never retaken this was all that was ever done by those in authority to render the justice which had been agreed upon and which was richly due to the indians after quitting the council and while on their way back to the hunting ground the smallpox broke out among the red men and carried off in its ravages the leading men of this band of Muachi utahs on the first appearance of this trouble the indians held a council among themselves and decided that the superintendent was the cause of the pestilence which had visited them they also decided that he had collected them together in order thus to injure them and to further his designs he presented to each of their distinguished warriors a blanket coat they found that nearly every indian who had accepted and worn this article had died it so happened that the writer several years after these events occurred visited the camp where this pestilence reigned in its full vigor the site of this camp was very beautiful perhaps it was this aided by other circumstances which caused the red men to select it as a refuge for their sick the place is located at the west side of the valley of san luis and is about midway between its upper and lower extremes two mountain streams have so joined as to form a peninsula of tableland which is well shaded by cottonwood trees this ground when the writer saw it was literally strewn with the bleached bones of the indian victims who had died from the scourge as we lifted up one skull and another the thought struck us that perhaps we might have touched the bones which once belonged to the famous chief chico velasquez of whom we have spoken as it was here that he died had we done so knowingly on account of that man's many cruel deeds a thrill of horror must have run through our veins the funeral rites of the dead among the indians were clearly exemplified here whatever may be these rites observed among the indians on the west side of the rocky mountains i am satisfied that most of the tribes of indians on the east side of this same range use but few if any imposing ceremonies in committing the body to the dust 
It is very difficult to find the bones of an Indian on the plains, and therefore I believe, and therein I am assisted by the observations of experienced men, that these Indians burn their dead bodies when they can do so, or completely hide them in the mountains by covering them with rocks, so that it is impossible to find them. Such a course would also serve the purpose of preventing the wolves from digging them up. The high-colored novels referred to heretofore, which have, during the past few years, had for their theme the Indian race, love to dwell on the imposing and affecting spectacle of an Indian burial. When stripped of fancy, the truth is that beyond the lamenting of a few hysterical squaws and the crackling of the flames of the funeral pile, there is little else done that is noticeable. But to return to the results of the council, the Indians, naturally enough, argued and persuaded themselves that these presents were intended as poisonous destroyers, and that they had been steeped in contagion for that end. It wanted but the happening of this affair, or a similar one, to destroy the small amount of confidence which the superintendent had hitherto enjoyed with these savages. While they were secretly preparing for war, they anxiously inquired of the traders who came among them what was transpiring in regard to the Mexican prisoners who had wantonly murdered their brave. On each separate occasion they were answered with intelligence that did not in the least satisfy them. They therefore renewed their energies in order soon to be ready to take the redress in their own hands. Kit Carson apprehended difficulty, even at the council, but after it broke up he was early apprised of the trouble which was brewing, and to prevent any outbreak he brought all his Indian experience to bear upon the task. In him, they said, they knew they had a true friend, but their nation had received too many wrongs to allow any more to be thrust upon them without showing to the world that they were worthy of the names which their fathers had given them. End of section 28, chapter 16, part 2.